Welcome to the Newsflash. My name is Sayer Devlin, and I'm the managing editor for Washington Square News. This week's episode is all about money, and if you want to know and hear more about the stories, visit nyunews.com money. Our first story today is about homelessness in and around NYU, and Alex Dom, our deputy news editor, will be talking to me about that. Our second story is about the cryptocurrency craze and a handful of students who invested in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies and made a small fortune. Sakshi Venkatraman will bring us that story. But first, here's Alex. And Alex, my first question for you is, uh, why did you want to take on uh, a story about homelessness? In uh, contributing to WSN's money issue and in covering aspects of wealth and finance in and around NYU, both myself and my fellow editors believed it to be imperative to cover the local homeless population. To put it simply, we feel that it's irresponsible to talk about money without talking about the absence of money and the different ways this absence of money hurts people. So in what ways does the issue of homelessness specifically affect New York City, Alex? New York is having an increased amount of trouble taking care of its homeless population. The rate of homelessness in New York is at its highest point since the Great Depression, and more homeless people live in New York than in any other city in the United States, by far. Yet, when talking to these people, I found that many have decided to stay here because they love the same multiculturalism and diversity of life that entrances us all. So it's February now, and at such a cold time of the year, when frostbite and hypothermia are serious risks, why don't the homeless simply go into government shelters or local shelters? From what I heard, uh, the homeless have different reasons for avoiding shelters. According to Elizabeth, a young woman I spoke with who suffers from a form of a cerebral palsy that gives her perpetual seizures, she avoids shelters because she has heard stories of corruption and theft. Another man I spoke with, Chris, said that not only are most shelters overcrowded at this time of the year and are actually able to turn people away, uh, but also the general conditions of living in shelters is awful. Here's what Chris had to say. New York City shelter system is horrible. It's one of, the, it's honestly one of the worst shelter systems in the United States. They're, a lot of them are overcrowded. Some of them are just very disgusting and vile. And a lot of the times, a lot of the people are just very disgusting and vile. When talking to homeless people, what did you discover about how they ended up on the streets? Every homeless person has a different story about how his or her life devolved. Actually, Elizabeth mentioned that people assuming all of the homeless either have similar stories or are responsible for their conditions results in significant stigmatization from passersby. Interestingly, as a white woman herself, she feels that her race makes people assume that she was once in a stable condition and that her arrogance and personal mistakes are the sole causes of her suffering. Here's what she said um, about the cyclical struggle of homelessness and the multitude of reasons people might end up in the street. Once you get knocked down, it, it's really hard and it takes a long time to get back up. And, uh, a lot of people come from, whether it be family scenarios or just a series of bad interactions or even natural disaster. There's a wide slew of reasons 
When talking about Elizabeth, you touched on the issue of stigmatization against the homeless. Can you talk a little bit more about what this stigmatization entails and how it hurts these people? Every homeless person I spoke with talked in detail about how damaging stigmatization is. Often people will pass by, yell insults, assume that they are lazy and dumb for not being in a shelter, or kick them out of restaurants. These assumptions prevent others from empathizing with the homeless and constantly makes people reluctant to offer money or food. Interestingly, many of them said that those most likely to help them are those who have experienced financial trauma themselves. And Elizabeth even said that she does her best to give away some of her own begging money to those in even greater need than she is. Many expressed that the treatment from those in stable economic positions often makes them feel less than human. Here's what a homeless woman, Kayla, said about this dehumanizing aspect and uh, what she wishes of others in the community. We're not animals at the zoo. We all came from somewhere. And that a lot of these people would be really surprised at how intellectual some might be. I guess that's all I ask is just don't just look at us as that stereotype of homeless person and just look at me as a person. That's all I ask. More personally, what was your experience like as a journalist in approaching the homeless and asking them to talk about their lives and their stories? Actually, approaching the homeless was a lot easier than I expected it to be, uh, and I was really surprised at their friendliness. A lot of times when you see someone who looks generally disheveled, you assume that they are unfriendly or that they don't want to talk to you. But the homeless that I spoke with, um, I I found that the exact opposite was true. Thus, this, uh, this experience certainly broke down many barriers and assumptions on my own part. I actually conducted all of the four lengthy interviews in a single, single evening last week as I walked around Upper Greenwich Village and Union Square. One man declined to speak to me, but everyone else I talked to were more than welcome to speak and were incredibly friendly. It's really shocking how much basic empathy and understanding can increase through conversation and how this simple task can change our perspectives on other groups so significantly. Alex Dom, thank you so much for that really moving story. Thanks for having me. Joining me now is news editor Sakshi to talk about the cryptocurrency craze and how it sometimes even pays for NYU tuition. Sakshi, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Sayer. So how involved are students at NYU in trading cryptocurrencies? So a few students um, who understand the market have gotten very, very involved with cryptos. Um, and a few of them that I spoke to have actually paid their full four years tuition um, through cryptocurrency um, investments. Wow, so that's like over $200,000. Yeah, so um, one of the guys that I talked to actually started with a $5,000 investment. Um, he went back a few months later and put in another 45000 um, That was in August of 2017. And then by January 2018, the investment had accumulated over $300,000 in returns. So he has his whole tuition paid for and then some. Wow. Um, so how is this possible? I mean, you mentioned that these kids understand the market. Uh, what is what does that mean? I mean, especially since the market's been so volatile and hard to predict. Right. So um, there's actually 
um, two students uh, who founded this organization called Trace Capital. And um, they're basically just a group of investors who trade, um, who trade in Bitcoins. The, the guy who started this, his name is Brandon. That's what he wants to be referred to as. Um, he dropped out of NYU to pursue other investments, or sorry, other opportunities, but he still works with um, a lot of students here um, with their investments. He created an algorithm adapted from one that he created to trade traditional stock, um, and he's using it to predict trends in the crypto market. Um, and that's basically helped a lot of students make a ton of money because they know when to pull out when there's about to be like a big crash and um, when the market's going to be good. So how many NYU students does this guy work with and consult with um, and, you know, invest their money? So obviously for privacy reasons, he couldn't give me like the names of everyone who invests with him. Um, but he does have 15 overall investors working with him. And um, a sizable amount of those, from what I understand, are NYU students currently. Wow. Um, are any of these kids worried about the massive amounts of risk uh, dealing with such a volatile um, investment entails? Yeah. So um, it's interesting because I talked to a few students who were investing outside of Trace. And the risk seemed to be something that concerned them a little, but not too much. I think a lot of them have a lot of faith in Bitcoin, considering that if you look at the market trends, whenever there's been a dip, it like almost immediately goes back up and um, like the market definitely recovers from the dip. So a lot of students just have a ton of faith in Bitcoin and um, the, the blockchain technology that it uses. Um, and then on top of that, with Brandon's uh, algorithm, the students that are investing with him have just been making a ton of money without fear of um, a market crash anytime soon. So since the market's peak at over $19,000 uh, in December, it's fallen considerably uh, down to uh, around $9,000 today. Um, are have people lost money on this? So, yeah, some students I've talked to um, investing outside of the algorithm that Brandon created um, have lost money. There are a few students I talked to who admittedly don't understand the market very well. Um, they took out investments, um, they bought Bitcoins, and they've seen just like huge fluctuations in um, what they have invested. One one girl I talked to, she even pulled up her Coinbase app, which is the app that they use to track how their investment is doing. And um, because of the recent decline, she actually had almost none of what she originally invested. Another student invested a few hundred dollars of his dad's money, and he's almost um, lost that um, entire thing. And he says at this point, if he breaks even, he's probably going to sell his um, bitcoins and pay back his dad. But the thing that's interesting to me is that both of these two students that I just brought up as examples, they still trust bitcoin. They want to keep their money in there. Um, the student who's currently um, trying to pay back his father, he he says that once he pays his dad back and he he makes money of his own, he's going to put it back in the crypto market. So students just have a lot of faith in this and just really want to make money. Yeah, I mean, the term hodler. I've heard of people who have so much faith in cryptocurrency, in Bitcoin specifically, that they're known as hodlers, H-O-D-L. 
E-R-S. Um, and that stands for hold on for dear lifers. Um, and some of these people believe that Bitcoin's true value um, is maybe even 50, 100, $150,000. Um, so I guess that's somewhat understandable if you believe in Bitcoin. Yeah, but um, there are other people, um, experts who are um, very skeptical of Bitcoin and the way that it's making people money so rapidly. And there have been a few people who've predicted um, that it's going to have a massive crash and everybody's going to lose their money. Yeah, I mean, Bitcoin's valuation looks a lot like um, the chart of a bubble stock, um, you know, with a massive, massive gain pretty rapidly, a small fall and then a small rise. But then ultimately, you know, the bubble pops and people end up pretty sad and broke. (laughs) (laughs) Right. If you want to read more about the cryptocurrency craze, uh, you can visit nyunews.com slash money. Sakshi, thanks so much. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thank you to Alex Dom and Sakshi Venkatraman for providing today's stories. Our audio engineer is Tom Miratello. Please rate, comment, subscribe to our podcast. We are on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and any other podcatching platform. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.